uh, last week, right, Joby uh, told everyone who was here how we, those who were camping, um, discussed starting the right reps sooner is easier than waiting till it's convenient. And he mentioned that applies to even how we share our gifts, right? Share our gifts with our church family, how we love and serve one another in the body. Now, one of the ways Joby discussed last week in service was how hospitality is a fantastic avenue for creating inroads to the heart, right? We put aside convenience and ease to welcome people into each other's worlds, face-to-face, right? People in the flesh, getting really to know people. Now, the past few years, me working in the corporate world has been a challenge for me personally. Since COVID, most, if not all, my work in communication is done digitally. 70% of the people I work with, I've never met in person. 30% of the people I work with, I've never even seen their faces because they just leave that camera off. So getting past this privatization and individualistic ideologies nowadays is work. More and more people are estranged to community, though it's the very thing they're craving. So not even is it just general community being challenged, right? But relationships, church discipleship, time and life together. Well, this morning we're going to go deeper into these things as we see Paul head from Athens to Corinth. We'll look at hospitality, marketplace jobs, and knowing and understanding that most discipleship is a marathon and not a sprint. So I'm going to pray real quick before we jump into the text, and we'll go right into Acts chapter 18. Father, we praise you and thank you once more for your goodness, your sovereignty, your control over all things. Father, it is your will that prevails. Lord, we pray this morning that we desire your will above all else. Lord, let us submit our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, would you mold our hearts more into the image of Jesus. Jesus, you gave all. Lord, may we give all to you. Thank you, Father, for your incredible generosity, your kindness, your mercy. Lord, that we have these words to look at, to hear, to share with one another, to encourage one another. What a blessing it is to have the gospel in our hands. And Lord, may those, that gospel go into our hearts this morning that we may share with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 18, we're going to go verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> so it was after this, so after he left the Areopagus, I never know how to say that word. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. 
And when the, they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. <clears throat> So right, so after, we're going to jump right into it. So after Paul declared Jesus as God, that they deemed the unknown God, and spoke of his resurrection from the dead, there were some who mocked Paul and some who joined Paul in Athens, right? And it's at this point that he left there. He moved from that audience's presence altogether and headed towards Corinth. Now, I wanted to give some crazy data points uh, before we move into Corinth. Uh, historians point out that between the years of 49 and 52, Paul traveled approximately 2,000 miles by foot and about 1,000 miles by boat. That mean, means nearly 50-year-old man walked the equivalent of the distance between Raleigh, North Carolina and Denver, Colorado, just for people to hear the gospel. That's amazing. Makes community groups seem a little closer. <laughs> and thank you for laughing, my wife. <clears throat> uh, now, when he gets to Corinth, right, he finds a displaced Roman Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Aquila is also a tent maker, and so Paul stays with them and works with them. He worked with this couple during the week and reasoned in the synagogues trying to persuade Jews and Greeks on the Sabbath. Now, Aquila and Priscilla become incredible friends, and we're going to see that in the future. Incredible friends and partners with Paul in the ministry of reconciliation. But they were first just hospitable, right? Just hospitable. Joby touched on that a bit last week, right? We see not only did they take Paul in, but they gave him a job. And their business and Paul's job provided the means to spread the gospel. And despite what seems to be a hectic schedule for Aquila and Priscilla, right, they owned a business, they fought for hospitality. Now, one author, he gives five challenges that we normally face uh, when we attempt, and sometimes they succeed in thwarting our hospitality attempts. You might be able to guess some of them, but he has five he lists out. Um, overcommitment, intentional isolation, addiction to comfort, selfishness, selfishness, that's the one that I think And last but not least, pride. The first time I read these, I don't know about you, but it felt like they were sandbags getting dropped on my stomach as I read each one of those. Overcommitment, addiction to comfort, selfishness, yikes. Now one of the most 
hospitable people I know, other than my wife, is her aunt, her tia, right? That's aunt in Spanish, just for those who don't know Spanish. It could be 10 o'clock at night, and she was in bed. She was asleep, but she heard you come in. And faster than you can say, no, thank you, right? Homemade food has already begun, right? If there wasn't even an inkling of discomfort, thirst, or desire, her spidey sense would kick in. She was always asking, is asking, what can I get for you? Now, most other cultures and countries besides the U.S. have maintained some sort of communal living, a prioritizing of a relationship and community over personal and individual ideologies. I've been to third world countries and their hospitality speaks love more loudly than any words of praise. Love and action. <clears throat> well, the gospel is hospitable. It is rest for weary souls. It is food for the starving minds and it is water for dried bones. Aquila and Priscilla took part in the ministering of the gospel, though they did not reason in the synagogues, but their hospitality gave Paul the starting block to the long race of ministry. Because, right, Aquila and Priscilla not only gave Paul a place to stay, but they gave him a job. The job was a gift. And we don't see at this point yet Paul being supported financially. We'll get to that in a few minutes. So this job gave him the ability to stay in the mission field. He worked throughout the week and reasoned or dialogued, as we looked at that word, what it meant, on Sabbath in the synagogue. Uh, one commentator points out, he says, Paul was able to do what others have to do. He could make a living in a secular vocation. While his letters to the Corinthians, Paul encouraged believers to compensate pastors he himself refused to take any support from them. Right? He wanted to avoid any obstacle to the gospel's progress. Now, this portion of Scripture <clears throat> is a great encouragement for me personally. I'm going to be honest. I'm working in the corporate world Monday through Friday and serving in my current capacity within the body is challenging. Sometimes it feels like holding two fire hoses, um, Ian, you're welcome for that productivity hack, wherever you are. Maybe try two instead of one. <laughs> uh, now, I'm not just talking about right, time commitments, managing tasks, activities, because all of us have a lot of times of doing certain things. So it's not multitasking that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is many times through my working adult life, I have felt like I'm charting two different seas. I hop off of one boat on Sunday, and on Monday, I jump onto the next. And then Friday afternoon, I dock the corporate boat and get on to what hopefully is a pontoon boat for the weekend. However, the last several years, as I have grown in my career and grown in my involvement in ministry, boat switching gets chaotic. Right? I'm switching boats during the day, weeknights, early mornings, weekends, late evenings. Right, job demands increase. Ministry life gets fuller. Then COVID came <laughs> and the lack of face-to-face -face communication, but the same work demands tipped the scale to something I had never experienced before. 
With all the digital communication, there is never clocking out. Coworkers sending emails all hours of the day, calendars full because you can't just stop by someone's desk and ask a question. You have to set up a meeting because no one answers emails because everyone's getting too many emails and they're drowning in communication. The boat charting the marketplace is taking on water. And at the same time, the boat of church life was taking on the waters of division, death, and politics. And this is where I get tempted, and I was tempted, um, to go in my thought life. I think to myself, well, if I didn't have to work at such and such place, I could serve the body of Christ so much better. But on the flip side, if there wasn't so much division in the church, I could focus more on my job. I'm talking specifically more about COVID, politic days. Those are still all around, but... No, but what am I, I'm talking about is my wrong idea, my wrong thought, that my place in the corporate world was preventing me from doing gospel work. I could do so much more if I was in ministry full-time, or I could be so much a better employee if I was fully committed to whatever corporation I'm at, because that changes a lot. Right, back and forth, tossed to and fro. Uh, Matt actually already stole the verse that I'm going to share. Right, James chapter 1, 5 through 8, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to without reproach, to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I was lacking wisdom, and I still lack wisdom. But I doubted God's ability to provide what I needed, and I was drowning in my lack of control. And that's why I think it's amazing, right, that Paul worked and preached the gospel. He made tents so he could teach about the capital T, tent. Paul did not see himself sailing two separate boats, two separate seas, right? It was one boat, one ark, that is Christ. His identity was Christ. So it didn't matter whether he was stretching leather or stitching tents, or if he was in the synagogues dialoguing about the beauty of Christ. All was being done to the glory of God. And he reminds the Colossians of this in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now my thought process of the two different boats, two different seas, is an identity issue, not an occupation issue. I have to remind myself that no matter where I'm at, I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Jesus, a Christian, right? That doesn't change pending my location or occupation. That's my identity. And one commentator, he points out, he says, you might work in the military, in medicine, in education, go to school, you're in law, you're in finance, you're in construction, or you're in the tech industry. Whatever you do, follow the model of Aquila and Priscilla, the ones they provide us. They worked in Christ Jesus. 
Whether they were making tents or planning to host people in their home, they did everything in and through and for Jesus, as we see Paul as well. Right? Paul learned to see all of his life as an offering to the glory of God. Right in Philippians, he says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He wanted to be poured out for the sake of those who need to hear Jesus. <clears throat> now, while we were uh, camping last weekend, uh, the nighttime brought kids with flashlights and headlamps running around. Uh, so every time there was a kid who wanted to ask me to burn this stick or this marshmallow or this piece of trash or this skewer, um, it was accompanied by temporary blindness. For some reason, kids just, when they're talking to someone, they're pointing the flashlights right in their eyes. It's like, okay, I can see. Now, you don't use a flashlight to light another flashlight. You use a flashlight to shine into darkness. Now, before I go somewhere with this analogy, I know we're supposed to encourage one another. And in that instance, it's like the battery of their flashlight is wavering. And we want to remind one another of the source of all light. And now, despite me knowing this, that light is to, made to shine into darkness. And even I'm telling you this morning, I have to preach to myself. I have to look to the gospel and the example of Paul. The light is made for the darkness. The light has come into the world so that the blind would see. That the children of God would move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Paul would go to the unreached places and preach the good news. Teach, equip, and then find the next unreached place. I imagine the apostles may have told him about Jesus when he said, It's not the well who need a physician, but the sick. So maybe the light inside you or me shines the same, but that light shines bright to those in darkness. So no matter the place you find yourself in life, you have the light of life that people need to see. Another um, author, commentator, puts it this way, says, working a secular job is no less important than working full-time as a clergyman. Those in both positions can use their gifts and opportunity to build Christ's kingdom. Your job gives you the opportunity not only to provide the basic needs, but also to love your neighbors, to display Christ's honoring integrity, to speak the good news, whether in work conversations or after hours, and to make the gospel known around the world using whatever the means that the Lord gives you. Now, we do see... Paul go from a lay pastor, right, to a full-time pastor when support came, right? We, we see when he was reunited with Silas and Timothy, right? This may have been when he received the encouraging news of the Thessalonian church and then the generous gift of the Macedonians that allowed him to move into full-time ministry. And this gives us another awesome example, right, of the church partnering in the advance of the gospel, even in our time of giving, right? We say this almost every week. We remind you all, ourselves, right, that it's a partnership that we have in the gospel through giving. It's an amazing thing the Lord has set up. And one author says this too. He says, Jesus gave everything 
that we might be spiritually rich in him. And the more we understand the grace of God, the more generous we will be. Paul even praised the church of Macedonia to the Corinthians for their abundant generosity so that they might understand the goodness of God more fully. Right In 2 Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, 2 Corinthians 8, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, partnering in the gospel. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, despite uh, seeing Paul move into full-time vocational ministry, he would never make the claim, right, that he's arrived or that he has what it takes. He later writes to the Corinthians in his letter to them, in his first letter, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And later in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, that it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. He remembers that the work that he put in for the sake of the gospel, but is quick to make clear it wasn't his strength, but it was the grace of God. Now, the work of ministry isn't measured like most professions, right? We produced this many widgets and this much time and made this much money, or at least it shouldn't be. A lot of the work of ministry is invisible. <laughs> Didn't know this would happen. Um, invisible to the churchgoer, as not everyone sees or knows the weight being carried, and you're not meant to. But nonetheless, it goes unseen. And for pastors and servants, the roots sprouting under the surface can't see them. They're invisible. Visible growth seems slow. Water is poured out over and over onto dirt, and it seems nothing is happening. Now, there is something fascinating about how a tree grows. Uh, Amber and I were just having this conversation a couple weeks ago. A tree's roots will grow faster than above so that it can support the tree's eventual above-ground growth. Right? If it was the other way around, meaning the top grew faster than the roots, the tree would just topple over, kind of like skipping leg day. Now, Paul may have only seen hard ground when he got to Corinth. Right? If you've read Corinthians, you see the kind of lives even... They were living after he was there. There was no way, he thought, seeds are going to take root. Now, Paul may have seen this, but there's an author that says that he also in Athens saw culture shock. And now in Corinth, it seems there is a moral shock to Paul. The work in Corinth started off slowly, especially in his tent-making phase 
But over time, Paul's ministry produced fruit. Because fruit doesn't show itself when the seed is planted. It reveals itself over time with care and God's sovereignty. Uh, Mr. Tony Morita says this about the slowness of Paul's Corinthian ministry. He says, this is a great indicator that we need to take in a long view in terms of evaluating ministry effectiveness. Though it's sometimes difficult to maintain patience in this fast food microwave culture where we want to see immediate results, we will need to go through slow seasons before bearing fruit and seeing fruit to keep being faithful to the mission and ask God to bless your efforts. Paul stays there for a year and a half after the Lord tells him not to be afraid. And it seems like God needed to remind Paul of his purpose there. It wasn't for Paul's sake. It wasn't for Paul's followers. It wasn't for Paul's people. It was for God's people. Uh, Lloyd Algilvy, I don't know how to really pronounce that name, but he writes this. He says, I have learned this repeatedly in my own life. When my strength is depleted, when my rhetoric is unpolished by human talent, and when I am weary, the Lord has a much better tool for empathetic, sensitive communication. My barriers are down. When I know I can do nothing myself, my poverty becomes a channel of his power. More than that, often when I feel I'm the least efficient, people have been helped most effectively. And it takes me a long time to learn that the lower my resistance are and the less self-consciousness I have, the more the word of God comes through. My church, the church needs more humble, weak marathoners. When the sprinters finish their race, and at times we do need sprinters, but it's the enduring that keep running. Now, when someone sets out to run a marathon, right, it's daunting and can be scary. There's no way. How long will it take me? Will I need to stop? Will I get injured? We fear what might happen. And, but I think sometimes we also think of Paul as immune to fear. I fear. Joby fears. But God Right? God tells Paul, right, in a vision, he says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. Now, there's a great quote about this, this divine encouragement Paul receives. It says, Paul was like a boxer that needed his corner man to encourage him to get back in the ring and go another round. And I'm so thankful for the conversations that Job and I have. They serve as the in-between rounds that bind wounds, celebrate wins, and get back in the battle. And not just Joby, but there are many of you men, even this past weekend, that remind me and encourage me. And as many times as I say to myself, it's worth it, I need others to remind me it's worth it, that the gospel is worth it. God tells Paul in the vision, for I have many in this city who are my people. And Kent Hughes elaborates on this. He says, do not be afraid. Stop borrowing trouble. 
Look to me, I love you. Keep ministering, keep caring, keep speaking my name. Inactivity will only imprison your fears. Believe that I am with you and that I will give you all the protection you need. Believe that your life will bear fruit. I promise. I believe Paul was even like, okay, this isn't about me. Because as it's written to the letter of the Corinthians, there was many in that church, even writing back to him, with enormous challenges. And now we too have challenges larger than ourselves, each one of us. Races longer than we can run. Parenting, marriage, family, friendships, co-workers, school, marathons peppered with sprints. But in all those, God has a purpose that he has prepared beforehand. We are only to seek his glory, loving him, loving our neighbor. And like Kent Hughes points out, when God said, I have many in the city who are my people, those are encouraging words. Paul's work would not be fruitless. And within the pasture of our own lives, God has many people who need to hear and see the gospel. And God's not looking for the perfect, charismatic, every joke is funny, strong, self-made Saul. He's looking for loving obedience. 2 Corinthians 12, he says, God delights in using the weak to accomplish his purposes and to magnify himself. Now, as we go through Acts and reference the epistles, as we do in the future and have and will and continue to reference other scriptures, we get to see Paul's strength grow throughout his ministry as he begins to believe more and more Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I believe Paul was trying to memorize that scripture himself just as we always do. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit was changing Paul's heart to desire the Father's will over his own. He says to the Philippians, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So church, we are to be encouraged about where God has us in each of our lives. Pray for an enduring heart as we walk through challenging and what seems to be fruitless places. The Father is accomplishing amazing things for the sake of his will, through the work of his Son, in your life. We need to continue down the long, narrow road of his grace. And 1 Corinthians 9.24 reminds us of this race. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box at one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should myself should be disqualified. 
And we must continue doing the reps of grace that mold us more into his image. The reps, as one author puts it, we must be continually cast our insufficiencies to the Lord's always total sufficiency. And you'll find that weakness is the secret of the strength of God's ambassadors. We are to saturate our minds and our hearts with the Lord's sovereign and sweet promises. Because the gospel of Jesus is worth it. The name which is above every name is worth living for. It is only by the grace that we have been handed a race bib and entered into a race into which we are guaranteed a prize that is kept in heaven and guarded by God's power. He has already purchased our salvation. His blood has the power to hold us and lead us on the long road of ministering to our own hearts and to others. The world needs lights. And we have the flashlights of truth, the word of God, the only hope that is secure, an anchor to our souls and the Lord, and Lord willing, an anchor to the souls of those who have been put into our lives. In Romans 5, 6, you may have heard this before, but it's amazing. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one may dare to die. But God shows his love for us. And while that we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we are to lay our lives down for his glory and for the sake of others, counting others more significant than ourselves so that his love might be made known through us. Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, I hope that we are amazed every time we open your word. Father, I praise you and thank you for your faithfulness, for your generosity, for your long-suffering with us, Lord. You are patient with us. Lord, would we continue to be patient in our own circumstances in our lives, knowing that it is you who have put us there. And may you give us the ability, Holy Spirit, would you remind us of these things, Lord, that we may glorify you wherever we are. And Lord, for the long road that we are on in this walk, Lord, give us the strength, give us the long view of salvation. Lord, you're being patient. You are not slow to fulfill your promises, but you are hoping that none shall perish. Father, so give us your patience. Give us your endurance, Lord, that we may continue to speak the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Thank you for saving us, that we may know your eternal love. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.